you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to Malachi chapter 3. We took a break for the Reformation last Sunday, but we're back to the last couple of lessons in the book of Malachi before we go into the Advent season. And so as you're turning, let me ask you this very, very, very specific question. Is God enough? Our main focus for this morning is answering this question, are we here to serve God or is God here to serve us? Let me give you a quote from a commentary. I think it speaks very clearly to where we are in application of this passage. Have you ever spoken such hard words against God? Perhaps you have vented them out loud in a scream or muttered them under your breath or in your heart. You have said serving God is useless. He doesn't really care about me or what I do. I've tried so hard to be a good person, and life isn't working out for me. I've obeyed all the rules and missed out on all the fun that those who don't follow God's law are enjoying, and where has it gotten me? I've worked diligently and been honest, but I'm struggling in my classes or in my career why others who bent the rules or outright cheated have done much better. I pursued sexual purity in my relationships, but I'm still single while others who have been less faithful have an engagement ring and a wedding date. I've read my Bible and invested myself in seeking God, and meanwhile, those who have done none of these things are ahead of me in all the areas of life that really count. I'm sick and tired of it all, Lord. I'm almost ready to give up on this religious stuff. Hard words against God. That is the theme of the final oracle in the book of Malachi. The prophet here has some challenging words of his own for his contemporaries, whose hard words accurately reflected their hardened hearts. Yet Malachi also has some encouraging words for another group of people who are within the covenant community, a struggling remnant of who are in the midst of challenges of difficulty and disappointing lives, but who nonetheless seek to remain faithful to their God. These words of comfort and challenge address us as well as we seek to cling to God through disappointment and difficulty. So God's words will be particularly relevant during those times of life when it may seem that God has forgotten us or when we continue to suffer while those who do evil and mock God seem to thrive. I think that's a contemporary understanding of where Malachi is in this passage And so I ask the question to us once again as we read it, is God enough? Hear the word of the Lord, Malachi 3, starting at verse 13 through 4, verse 3. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? For you have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed, for evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasure possession 
and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming, shall set, set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that I will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go up leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, our prayers during this time are very simple. You speak, and may we listen and hear. Lord, apply these words to our lives. May we call some of our actions and attitudes into question. But Father, draw us closer to the Savior today than when we came. For this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So as we begin to unpack this passage, there's a couple of things. We see the first group are those who use God. And so we want to look at the hard words that they're saying because it's an accusation. And these are for people who view God as these here to serve them. And so what they begin to do is they say, in essence, as if they're in a court of law, God, you're out of order. You're the one who's not doing what we think you should do. See, you do not deserve my service or my worship And we understand, as we've read the the passages before this, that they were doing so half-heartedly at best, giving lame and stolen sacrifices. They were sneering at worship. They were thinking it was boredom to come and worship the living God. Now, why do they think that? Because they think from a worldly perspective. They think from a worldly perspective in regards to success and failure because people who think of success is thinking that everything good happens to you. Your kids go to the right colleges. They have the right number of kids. You have the right amount of money. You never get sick. There's no sorrow. There's no pain except for when it's proper at just the right time when people get old and they need to go. See, because many other people begin, failure is everything bad. Well, sickness shouldn't have come into our house. There shouldn't have been, I shouldn't have lost my job. I shouldn't have lost my career. My kids should have gotten into this school. Then he didn't. They had to go to this school, and that's just not right. See, we start to, to look from this perspective of the world, and we look and say, maybe God loves you because of success, and he doesn't love you because of failure. God doesn't look at it this way. He says you're either blessed or you're judged. And blessing and judgment has nothing to do with the worldly success or failure. It has to do with does God love you or does he not? And so these people were bringing this accusation against God saying, God, you're out of order because you're not doing what we think you do. And so they start asking this question, what is the profit of this? Because for them, it has become a religion. And religion, please understand this, there's a difference between religion and a relationship. Because religion kills. 
Because it's those who have religion that have a fear of judgment. I remember speaking to one of my professors, Richard Pratt, after the tsunami hit and when he went back over uh, to, to start talking to these people and help rebuild their area and stuff like that. He was talking to them about God and for them, God was, we need to go and do more, 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 more because God obviously punished us with a tsunami and we don't want that to happen again. So we're going to do more and more and more and just more and more heap heaping upon themselves guilt and pain. Or we can switch it up to the other ways. If we earn blessings, if we come, if we go and do the things, if we go to Mecca, if we get on our hands and knees, if we pray just enough, if we do give just enough, if we do all the right things, then God owes us. And that's where a lot of us get. God, I've come to church I've kept my marriage. I've given my tithe. I've done all these things. You owe me something. And so we get to the point where we start saying things, not God's will be done, but my will be done. And so this is where this group under Malachi has gotten They looked at God and said, you owe us. Now, again, they don't look at themselves and say, hey, look at our sacrifices. Look at how we've half-heartedly given our worship to a holy God. But they look at him and say, you owe us, which is so different than having a relationship with the living God. Because Christianity is the only world religion where God comes to us. He seeks after us. He comes and brings blessings to us because it's about a relationship. And it's a relationship because God knows us, he loves us, and he cares for us. Think about if you were in a marriage relationship where your spouse said, you know what, I'm in this only so that you can make my life better. Or would you rather be in a marriage where they said, your spouse says, you are mine and I am jealous for you. See, what God is telling us is it has to be an issue of the heart and it's a response of love from us to God the Father. And so Malachi comes and he gives warnings to those who bring these accusations against God, who thinks that God is here to serve him. But he also talks about a second group. A second group has the view that God is, that we're here to serve and worship God, not the other way around. And so what they do is they begin to, to have a reverent fear. They're not afraid but they have a reverent fear. They understand that God is who he says he is. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the one who spoke creation into being by his words. He has the power to elevate you and he has the power to destroy you. But we're not afraid. Why? Because we understand who we are and whose we are. When we go understanding that it is our God who comes and calls us his children, it allows us then to begin to trust him. Because he is our dad. 
And so what it does is it tries to, it starts to affect our attitude. What, what do I mean by that? Well, if we trust the person, then we begin to trust what he says to us. And so that's the question. Do you trust me? I mean, if you go to that line and you Google it, the first thing that comes up is Aladdin. Do you trust me? Yes. Then jump. Now, first of all, if you look at that, I mean, she doesn't know this guy. One, he's lying to her. And he says, do you trust me? Sure. Then jump. But if you go to the scripture, you begin to see how that's unpacked. Think about what it would have been like for Abraham to take Isaac. Remember the the scene where he puts the the firewood on the back of Isaac and they get up and they go to the the mount? And remember, he leaves the servants and he keeps walking with Isaac and Isaac starts to ask questions. Hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. And Isaac goes, okay. Now, we don't know when... Abraham got up to the place and began to build the altar and told Isaac, lay down. We don't know if he had to strap him down, if he had to put ropes on him. It doesn't say that in Scripture. But do you not think that Abraham had told Isaac all the stories about, do you know how you were born, son? Do you know why we live in this land? God called me, and I left, and he brought us into the land, and he's protected us. Do you know about your mom, Sarah? Do you know that she was 80 years old when we got the promise? And she, Abraham was 80, Sarah was a little bit younger, sorry. Abraham was 80, and it's not until he's 100. And do you understand that God put us in such a place that, you know what, you were a miracle child, Isaac? That's the God we serve. And I really do believe that Abraham, because of that situation, was able to look at Isaac and said, God, you promised that this is the man who will come the promise that you have given to me into the seed after me. And even if I kill this child, you will bring him back from the dead because you are faithful. And so he places his son on the altar about the thrust, the knife into his heart. And God steps in. Do you trust God? Do you believe that he is truly the God of Abraham and Isaac? Do you believe that he cares for you because our attitude determines our action? Well, what is the action that comes from this? Well, there's actions of both the saints and also actions of God. The thing for the saints is this. They begin to speak to one another. So what it says in Scripture? The saints begin to speak to one another, those who fear the Lord. So what does that mean? They're speaking about the Lord to one another. They're encouraging one another. They're giving each other spiritual counsel. They're looking for godly fellowship. That's what he tells us to do to one another. To be in each other's lives, to pray for one another. 
And I get it. It's easy to come to simply be here on Sunday, to check the boxes, to be nice, to be around people that you would say, hey, these are acquaintances, but they're not my friends. I like them, but I don't care for them. And there might be some you don't even like. But God calls us as the church, not only here at Northside, but the church big picture. And there are people praying around the world for some of these concerns. And we're told to speak to one another words of comfort and peace and to be about godly fellowship so that we learn to run to God, not from him. And as these people are speaking to one another, the spiritual counsel and godly fellowship, there says there's actions of God, and it says this about him. He sees, he hears, and listen, he records. There's a book of remembrance that he brings about in this passage. Now, let me put these two things together, because it didn't come clear to me, even though I knew both of these, until this time of studying the word. God says that he takes our sin and he removes them as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more if we repent and confess to him. So God takes our sin, the thing that separates us, the thing that sent his son to the cross and he says, when you confess and repent and you truly give your heart to God, that he takes it as far as the east is from the west and he remembers it no more. So when you go and say, God, hey, did you remember when I do this? He would say, no, I don't. But the words we speak to each other in spiritual counsel and godly fellowship, he writes down in a book to remember. So he is aware of everything we are doing and saying. Why? Because, listen, he values us so highly. He values us so highly that he protects us and draws us closer to his heart. Should be every day. Because what he does is he says this about us. You are my treasured possession. Do you feel like you are the treasured possession of the living God? Do you understand how much he loves you by giving his son to die on the cross? That he cares about you. That he seeks your goodness. Now again, it might not be to the world's standards. But it is to heavenly standards. Because what we have to do is remind ourselves to look up. It's easy to look down upon our circumstances. It's easy to look at the world and say, like the people in the first group, God, where are you? The evil people seem to be um, enjoying life. They're having fun. You're not doing anything to them. So why are you making my life glad? See, we have to take our eyes off of the circumstances. The pastor gave this illustration. He said when I went overseas and he was driving into Scotland, he found himself um, getting very close to hitting the curves while he was driving because it's the opposite side of the road. But his father-in-law was behind him, and his father-in-law said this. He stopped him, and he said, you need to quit looking at the road. You need to look at the destination. Then the driving takes care of itself. See, the application for us is we need to keep our eyes focused upon the possession and the treasure that we have in Jesus Christ.
Do we keep all of our eyes, all of our attention, everything that about us, is it focused upon Christ and we see him, the living God? Because when we see that, what it does is it points to that day that's coming. And it's far closer than we think. And that day of judgment is coming, and it's also going to be the day of blessing and healing. It tells us very clearly in this passage in chapter 4, For behold, the day is coming, we're burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. Will they be set ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that they will leave neither root nor branch. See, we understand what that's like, right? We live in Florida. We understand the forest fires that go through here. How do they begin to, to, to move? They go through the ground. See, he says that it's going to be an oven that's going to come for the evildoers. And see, the sun can be a good thing. We also know it can be a bad thing, especially living here. And we also know all those people who come from the north are overseas. We see it all the time. And what is it that they say to us who live here in Florida? I want to go home, and I want everybody to know, because I have a sunburn that I was in Florida. I remember my friend uh, Willie, and uh, he was getting ready to go home, and we were out on the boat, and we were um, going around, we were tubing, and everything like that, and he was just like, I said, Willie, I think you need to put some sunscreen on. Jeff, I want to go back to Northern Ireland looking like I've been to Florida. Willie, I think you need to put sunscreen on. <laughs> Jeff, I'm not going to do it. So how many hours go by? One, two, three. Willie, please put on sunscreen. Four, five, six hours of tubing. By this time, he's gone from the beet red to he is now purple. And he has to get on a flight to fly home to Northern Ireland, and he is hurting. To the amount that when he lands, he has to go to the hospital for the burns that he received. See, it's only us who are so arrogant and seek after temporary pleasures at the cost of being wise. See, we understand that because judgment is coming and the oven was beating down on these people because there's judgment. And so again, we seek after the temporary, we seek after the worldly because here's the, here's the bad thing. We really do think we're in control. And he says, God says, these are the arrogant and the evildoers, and so there's wickedness. But I, I want you to hear very clearly, too, because I do think it's a, a pause for us. Because I do think a lot of times, Christians, we try to be our own gods, too. Joe Novenson gave this example. He was at a, a conference, and he was talking to the missionary uh, down in Cuba, and he was saying, man... Tell me about how did God increase your faith? I want to know. I want to know how you've gotten so deep in your relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to know. And he says, he says it's very simple. He said, when God called me to Cuba, I went to Cuba. And when I landed, I said, okay, God, I'm here. Now what? He says, you know how you prepare to go on a mission trip, Joe? 
You want to make sure everything's in place before you go. You want to make sure that you have enough money paid and in your account. You want to make sure that you have everything in place and put into order. Where's your faith? Where's your trust? Now, I know for us Presbyterians, that hits, that hits me home. I like to have enough money in savings and checking and investments. I want to have everything figured out. I check the oil. I have extra. I even have toilet paper in my car in case I get in trouble. Because <laughs> I want to be in control. So do you. And God sometimes goes and he says, do you trust me? Then obey, even when it's hard. So we take our eyes off of the circumstances. We keep our eyes focused upon Christ because on that day, there's also going to come for those who are living in fear of him, healing. Listen, it doesn't say that they get a cool breeze. It still says the heat, but it comes from a son of righteousness. And the son of righteousness will bring healing in its wings. And there are those people that need to go out in the sun to feel good. And we understand why people come down from the north and they want to go out and we look at them and we're in our jackets and we're all in our boots and stuff like that. You are so clearly have shown and demonstrated today on a day when it's going to be almost 70 degrees and we're cold. And they come down in 40 degree weather and they want to go in the ocean. Why? Because there is healing and that's why he talks about the calf, because it talks about the, I want you to get the picture of this calf has been in the stall probably for winter and then is let out in spring, and it begins to jump for joy. I'm free. I'm finally free, and I get to go out and to enjoy everything that God has created to be. And when we look to that day, and he comes and he brings healing through Jesus Christ and his blood and his righteousness, God's people will be jubilant. And we will be excited because of Jesus Christ at Calvary. So where's your focus? Are you in the first group who thinks that God is here to give you everything that is good according to the world? Are we in the group that fears the Lord? That understands that even in the midst of hardships, he never leaves us nor forsakes us. That he loves us as more than we can ever dream or imagine. And we know that because we look to the cross to see it shown and demonstrated because he gave his son for you and for me. So I ask where I begin. Is God enough? Is God enough or is it God plus? Let's pray.
Father, too often, far too often, it's God plus for me. Father, it's so easy to get caught up looking at the circumstances of life in this world. And so, Father, we begin to question. We cry out, unfair. But, Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you continually draw us away from the circumstances of life and keeps our focus upon the one and only where it needs to be at all times, our Savior, Jesus Christ. For he truly is the one that has taken our sin, paid the price, and throws it as far as the east is from the west and remembers it no more. But he brings us and intercedes for us even today of bringing our concerns and the causes before you. And Father, those things where we encourage one another, where we build one another up, when we love the way that Christ loves, those remembrances are written in a book for eternity. So, Father, may we be found to be faithful, those who fear you, but who recognize that you love us and your love is never changing. So, Father, may we take your word, may we apply it, may we live according to it, may you continue to give us many opportunities to pray for one another and build one another up, in the faith, knowing that one day we will leap for joy. We will hear the words, it's finished, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest to be with your Savior both now and forevermore. And all God's people said,